see Brandon's visiting us, all kind of guests, family. What? Awesome. The Bible says uh, in lots of places, in lots of different ways, but it says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Right? This is the day. It'll be up there in a minute. Uh, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Um, oftentimes we gather and maybe we're thinking about tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. But I really, really, really want us to focus on today because a lot can happen today. This is the day on God's eternal calendar that he's been waiting forever to bring you here to experience him and experience what we're we're going to talk about today in renewal and joy and strength. This is the day, and it can really happen in the book of Acts. Uh, and when this good news of the gospel we're talking about today reached a certain city named Samaria, it says once they received it and understood it, there was much joy in that city. And today when we look at Nehemiah 8, we're going to look at what happened in a 24-hour period. We're going to look at how God brought renewal and great joy and great strength to a particular people in a particular place on a particular day. I really, really, really want you to be happier and more filled with joy when you walk out and when you walk in. And I firmly believe that's God's will. He thought up the verse, this is that day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. That's Psalm 118, 24. And so whether you're a tween or a teen or a college adult or 142, I really want you to be glad in the Lord and experience renewal in your heart and joy and strength. And whether you came in, just feel like you were just, you live and exist in a wilderness and you don't know what's up and what's down, or whether you walked in here filled with joy, I want you today, this day, to experience God in a new way, in a deeper way, so that you too can experience even more renewal and joy and strength. Whether you consider yourself far from God or skeptical of God, We're very near and intimate with God. I want all of us to experience today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of rescue from bad thoughts about God, from puny thoughts about God, so that we can experience true renewal and joy and strength. Uh, Been reading a book on renewal, Dynamics of the Spiritual Life by Richard Loveless, and he says this about uh, all, all the renewals that he can study, whether they've been in Scripture or since the Scripture was finished on planet Earth. And he says there are two essentials in a church environment for renewal to get traction. One, meaning clarity about who God really is. And two, clarity about who we really are. So we need clarity about God and we need clarity about who we are. And when we get that clarity, you know what's going to happen? We're going to realize that there's a big gulf, there's a big gap, there's a problem And therefore, but you can't see the solution. You can't see the gospel. You can't see Jesus or grace or mercy or his love until you really understand God and you really understand your own condition. And that's when this renewal, that's when joy takes place, when we understand these things. And so that's what we're going to go after today. So I want you to stand. I want you to turn to 
uh, Nehemiah 8, and we're going to read about that one particular day where God broke in and brought people out of the wilderness with him into renewal and joy and strength. It's on page 403 of those black Bibles, or you can follow along the screen. You can close your eyes and listen. But this is the word of the Lord. And I'm going to, while you're turning there, a few of you, I want to give you a little bit of history where Nehemiah 8 fits in God's calendar. What happened, God had given a promise to this people of God, the nation of Israel. They were going to be the light of the world in the city of Jerusalem. It was going to be this missional outpost where the whole world could be blessed. He was going to bless Israel so they could be a blessing to the world. But then they disobeyed him, and he carted them off into captivity in 586. And there's this prophecy about 70 years in this captivity were going to happen. And then if you return to me, you know, I'm going to bring you back for those who return. And so that's what we've seen in, in this time period of Nehemiah and Ezra. We saw the first return through Zerubbabel and this guy named Jeshua where they came back. And over a period of about 20 years, they rebuilt the, the altar in the temple. And then you see this second wave of people come back in the, in, uh, the book of Ezra. And they, they re, yeah, he began to rebuild and brought a bunch of people back. And the book of Nehemiah is about this third wave of people that he brings back. And we've just completed uh, in the previous weeks how miraculously, miraculously they rebuilt the wall in 52 days. So they've rebuilt a temple and an altar. Lots of people have returned from exile. And we saw them rebuild the walls. And today in this chapter, on one particular day, we're going to see God rebuild the people of God. He's rebuilt the temple and an altar, rebuilt the structures, rebuilt the town wall. And now in this chapter, we're going to watch Almighty God rebuild the people of God and renew them and bring them joy and great strength. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And when he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Beside him stood, boy, a bunch of names I can't pronounce, but Matthiah, we'll, we'll meet him in glory, yeah, and my names are important, i got a weird one, but, but Shema, and Ananiah, and Uriah, and Hilkiah, and Messiah, and on the right hand, and Pedadiah, and Mishael, and Malchajah, and Hashem, and Hashbadanah, Zechariah, Meshalem, on his left hand, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood, just like you're standing. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads. And they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua, here we go again. And Bani, and Sherebi, and Jamin, and Akubub, and Shabbatai, and Hodiah, and Messiah, and Kalita, and Azariah, and Josabad, and Hanan. And Peliah, the Levites, helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. It's going to read uh, through verses 9 through 12. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day 
is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all their people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This, my friends, is the word of God. God. Yeah. Have a seat and let's pray. God, make these words through your supernatural enlightenment be light to us. Help us to see what you want us to see and hear what you want us to hear. And oh, show us your heart for wayward sinners. Do, do in me, do in us today what you did for them so long ago. Take a weeping, grieving people and bring back their joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Help us know what that means and help us know what that tastes like. God, for any who are just far, far away from you today, help them to come home to you today. Father, for any who feel forgotten in a wilderness, help them to know that your eye is on them. They are not alone and that you're seeking them and that you love them. Oh, help us to see. Holy Spirit, come help me speak, help everyone else hear, and help us all to see Jesus in a way that brings renewal and joy and great strength. Come help us. Amen. Well, I really, really believe that joy can be yours today without any circumstances changing. I believe that today is the day That the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad. And just like we said in that quote earlier, there's two essentials. We got to become aware of who God is. We got to become aware of of our true condition before God and apart from God. But then we also need to see the solution once we see those first two. So what we're going to do, three points today, but I framed them as statements, not uh, questions, not statements. So one's going to have to do with seeing God. We're going to just ask that prayer is going to be, help me see you, my sovereign. And then the second one's going to be uh, about our condition and the awareness. And the prayer's going to be, help me see my sin. And then the third one, after we see the sovereign and see sin, we're going to say and beg and pray, God, help us to see our Savior and the grace in his eyes for sinners. Such that renewal will just boil up in our heart and we can experience great joy and strength. Okay? Is that a good plan? Lord, you're not locked in. You can go if you want. But this is good. I love, love, love this passage. Man, the God has just done this in my heart, so I'm thrilled. So how in the world does God bring about awareness of his sovereignty, our sin, such that we have a Savior and rejoice in him? Well, he does it by the book. That's what we saw in Nehemiah chapter 8. The people said, bring the book. The book is what happens uh, and it takes darkness in our minds and souls and brings light. That's what he does. Renewal and joy and strengthening don't happen in the dark. 
They happen in the light. In the Bible, the Word of God brings light. The Bible is the plumb line to measure reality. What's light and dark, right and wrong, true and false. True pictures of God and false pictures of God. Huge, glorious pictures of God and puny pictures of God. Only the Word of God applied by the Spirit of God can help us see Jesus. Listen to what Hebrews says. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from God's sight, but are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's the power of God. It's the good news. It's the power of the gospel to change us. And as Psalm 19 says, it's the word of God that restores our soul and rejoices our heart. And so... Three things we want to see from the Word of God. His sovereignty, our sin, and then our Savior. All right? So point number one. Oh, God, help us see your sovereignty, that you're the sovereign God. We need to know this very simple truth. There is a God, and you're not Him. There is a God who's the Lord and Creator, sustainer of everything. As Ephesians 1.11 says, there's a great big God. Who's working all things after the counsel of his will. There's a God who's so big and so powerful that he's writing the story of your life today. This is a chapter, a paragraph in your whole story that he's writing for his glory. For all of eternity. You're not forgotten. He's doing all this on purpose. He's gloriously beautiful. He's never made a mistake. He's altogether pure and lovely. He's in control. He makes no bones about that. He's so big that he knows each of you and he knows the hairs of your head he's massive he's the cosmic ruler of the universe he creates it sustains it he began he's going to end it and he's going to cause it to flourish throughout all of eternity he's got great promises to restore everything all of creation including me and you in eternity he's a big god he's a great god as the chronicles of narnia say he's not safe but he's good He's not a God to ignore. He's not a God to trifle with. He's just a God to have reverential awe and worship and be just freaked out about the beauty. And he's holy, holy, holy. He's the judge of the living and the dead. One day he's going to separate all sinners into two groups. The believing sinners to shed grace on and the unbelieving sinners who just kept rejecting his offer of mercy and forgiveness. That's the real God. And we can never have renewal and joy and strengthening if we just have a picture of a sentimental God. It just won't happen. I just want to read you uh, three sentences from Loveless again. Uh, we had the great Protestant Reformation over in Europe, and it spilled out into the American shores. And they preached a great big God. And the first awakening, church historians, happened on our shores in America. And they preached a big God that produced Great conviction of sin, but deep conversions and great love and and great joy and renewal in God and strength to go out and become a mission-sending nation. It was an amazing what he did. But then the next generation, it began to wane because they had a sentimental view of God. It said, the, here's um, uh, what he says in his book. Uh, the whole church was drifting quietly away from the biblical portrait of a sovereign and holy God who's angry with the wicked every day, and whose anger remains upon those who will not receive his son. Walling off this image into an unvisited corner of its consciousness, the church substituted a new God, 
who was the projection of grandmotherly kindness mixed with some of the gentleness and winsomeness of a Jesus who hardly needed to die for our sins. Many American congregations were in effect paying their ministers to protect them from the real God. So, in any awakening, in any renewal, in any revival, one thing God does, He blesses us, not with a sentimental view of God, but with a scriptural view of God. we got to see God in all of His glory if we're going to experience His renewal and joy and strength. If you've never heard that verse in Psalm 711 about God is angry with the wicked every day, uh, we'll get to that and show you how God solves that huge problem. But don't be amazed at his judgment because he's also judge. And don't be amazed so much at his wrath. That makes a lot more sense. What we should really be amazed at is his patience and compassion that he's shown us. And his withholding of early judgment so that all can come to him. This is the day of salvation. He has not visited any of that unkindness and wrath towards you ever. Today's the day of salvation. Man, be amazed at his patience and compassion in sparing you to this point, but that he will ever spare anyone, and it's all undeserved. That's the real God, the sovereign God. And we see this great patience displayed in the book of Nehemiah. As I just said, Nehemiah is this in chapter 8, that he's bringing them out of the wilderness. And they were in the uh, wilderness because they had disobeyed God. They'd ignored all of his prophets, and so the Bible came true. Babylon captured them in 586 and had taken them away, but the Bible also came true. And you saw that in chapter 1 with Nehemiah. It's this 70-year period. And so Nehemiah was praying to God, God, restore us, bring us back. Let's go back, back home. And God is so sovereign that he used Cyrus, the king of Persia, who Persia, after Babylon took the people of God away, then Persia beat Babylon, and this pagan king, best we know, issued an edict that all of the people of Israel... All of God's people can now go home because that was his policy. God is sovereign over evil politicians. Rejoice. Apply that to America. God's sovereign over Cyrus, and he did it for good, and he let the people go home, and that's what we're seeing. But don't forget that the the picture of God is being very patient with the people of God. It had been decades, it's 70 years. But this day that we're looking at in Nehemiah 8 is the day When he says the wilderness period is over, stop grieving. We're going to rejoice for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so your wilderness period, no matter how long it's been to this point, can end today just like it did for them. It can. And we're going to get there in a minute, but I just can't wait to tell you that the joy of the Lord means it's not that he's indifferent to that happening in your life. He's eager. The joy of the Lord means that he's super excited to show you grace. He's not reluctant. He's not holding back. That's his very much on the front of his heart and will. He's like, please come to me. Please let me bless you. Please let me forgive you. Please let me enliven you. Please let me rejoice your heart. That's the joy of the Lord. He's joyful to do that in you. You don't have to cajole him. You don't have to trick him or convince him or make a big long list of promises. What are you going to do for him? No, he's just standing there like Luke 15 says, just come. I've been watching for you. He's been patient But it's the joy of the Lord. It's his excitement to bring you back, to love on you, and to to give you a hope and a peace and a purpose. I mean, what a great God. I just spoiled the end, but we couldn't, I just couldn't wait to tell you about how cool he is because we see it displayed in this 
in this passage that he had been disciplining them in the wilderness. And now he's brought them back to return their joy to them. And so, God, help us to see your sovereignty. This picture in Nehemiah 8 is of the particular name for God in that chapter. In the chapter we're looking at is Yahweh. It's the covenantal God. What we see played out before us is this great covenant renewal going on in the people of God. Through all these festivals, if you looked in there, it said this is the first day of the seventh month. And they just had festival upon festival of remembering all that God had done for them in the past and all that God had promised them for the future. And that's what's going on in Nehemiah 8. And I'll talk a little bit more about the Feast of Weeks, which is started on the day we're talking about. But hold on. Hold on. Okay. Lord, help us to see that you're God and we're not. That you're sovereign and we're not. You're in control and we're not. And then secondly, this may be seem like a strange prayer, but I promise you, this is the true biblical path to renewal and joy and strength. We have to see ourselves. We have to see our sins. So the second point is simply is a prayer. Lord, help me see my sin. Help me see my sin. Help us see our sin. If you don't see your sin today, you probably won't receive real joy today. Because what you're going to find out is being released and freed like Chad read in Galatians produces the real joy, the true joy. Listen, the southern church needs to hear this. We have to see our sin because God and Jesus don't save respectable people. If you just want to be respectable, get a little bit of God, pretend you're not that bad. That's not who Jesus came for, respectable people. He came for weak, broken, needy people. He's the great physician. You don't go to the emergency room when you're flying high with your health. Jesus doesn't save respectable people. We also must see our sin because God's love shows up the brightest when you're the least deserving. That's why we need to see our sin. The more you see your sin, the more you see he's forgiven your sin. Just picture two people. One person that has uncurable cancer and the other person that has a splinter. If they both get healed on the spot, which one's going to have more joy? The person that got healed of cancer. The Bible has a story about what if a man owes, you know, a trillion dollars, another man owes five dollars, and both get forgiven of all their debt, which one's going to rejoice more? The one who got free by giving them the, the biggest debt. The reality of if we see our sin, we see that we have spiritual can, uh, cancer. That's what the Bible says. It says we're deceitfully wicked beyond all measure. It says that we're enemies of God, children of wrath, even as the wrath. We all deserve punishment. That's just the true biblical picture. So we have to see our sin so that we can see what God has done for us on the cross and through the resurrection and through the Holy Spirit. And the tricky part, just for a couple minutes, is uh, we, we need to see our sin. Because the more we see our sin, the more we know that a huge debt's been weighed, which makes our heart rejoice. But the very nature of sin, is, it's deceived us. And so we can't see our sin without God opening our eyes. That's why the point is, God, help me see my sin. You may not be willing to pray that, but I hope you do. Because that's not where he's going to leave you. He doesn't show your sin and just make you waller around in it. As Once again, I'll give you a hint. Remember what he said twice? Do not grieve. 
in Nehemiah 8. And so we got to see our sin, but it's not obvious. The heart is deceitfully wicked, the Scripture says. And back to Lovelace in this book on renewal, he says, the irony is that the two things we need to see the most is be aware of God and aware of our sin. He says, but that's where we're most blinded by sin. We got these weird views of God and weird views of ourselves that are just in our minds, not revealed by Scripture. We need the Scripture and prayer through the Holy Spirit to just help us, help us see. Once again, renewal, joy, and strength don't flourish in darkness. They flourish with the light. Like 1 John 1 says that God is not in darkness, that He's light. Light exposes everything about you. That's scary. But he knows what to do once he shows us this. Jonathan Edwards, a great theologian probably this country's ever had, said that until the Spirit breaks in, you will have a natural distaste for God, an uncontrollable desire to break His laws, and a constant tendency to sit in judgment on Him when you notice Him at all. None of us, without God's help, love Him or others more than ourselves. We're sinners. We're weak Sin is ugly. Sin is toxic. Sin doesn't bring joy and renewal and strength. No, it brings anxiety and weight and depression and weakness. You see, when turn over chapter one, when Nehemiah saw his sin, it turned out to be an awesome thing. When he saw his sin, he said in. Uh, verse seven of chapter one, "We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments." The statutes and the rules you've commanded your servant Moses. Oh, I didn't start at the right place. But the previous verse said, When they were confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, God. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments. He realized, oh, we're in the position we're in. The city walls are down. Jerusalem is supposed to be this missional outpost and light for the whole world has been captured by an enemy army because the people of God sinned. They, they forsook God and just lived for themselves. And he began to see that. And he says, we were corrupt. It's our fault. He took ownership for the condition of the people of God. And now we see what God did in Nehemiah's heart and so showed him his sin in chapter 1. We see as Ezra, the priest, combined with this layman, Nehemiah, that God had used miserly, as they had this ceremony in Nehemiah 8, they began to see their sin. We know that because it says they were weeping. When Israel heard the word, they wept. In 8 9, it says, For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And we know it wasn't a rejoicing weeping because they came and rushed in and said, as we'll see in a second, that he says, Don't grieve. And so they were weighed down by their sin. They were weeping because they learned the truth. They had failed God, they hadn't represented God. They hadn't participated in the advance of this good news of the gospel through the nation of Israel. And that sin, they were weeping because God had shown them who he was and he showed them their sin. They wept because they learned the truth that all people deserve judgment. They knew they deserved judgment and they're weeping. They're weeping. Now, this is a little... How God sometimes gives me little gifts. Yesterday, uh, on a break from preparing this, I just got on Twitter and I saw a friend of mine in Austin, a pastor, Jonathan Dodson, said this. And I thought it fit. So that's why it's in my notes and that's why I'm going to say it and that's why hopefully you hear it. Okay? Uh, 
I think it's from the Lord. When we, when we minimize the judgment of God, we cannot maximize the grace of God. And we believe here, grace changes everything. Amen? Isn't that good news? But if grace changes everything, one thing it changes is the way we relate to God, even when we see the depths of our wicked heart. Okay? As Jonathan said, when we minimize the judgment of God, if, well, when we minimize the judgment of God, we cannot maximize the grace of God. My question is, are you ready now to go to point three and maximize the grace of God? Anyone? Okay. Me and Aaron. Chad. Okay. Anybody else? Can I get anybody over here? Brian Church. Well, okay. We got it. All right. Let's maximize the grace of God. Lord, help us see our sorrow and help us see our sin. But please, please don't leave us there. Judged. Right? The third and final point is, Lord, help us to see our Savior. Help us to see Jesus. Help us to see the remedy. Help us to see what brings renewal and joy and strength. Man, I believe the heart of our awesome God shines so brightly in Nehemiah 8 with this phrase. Look at us, look at it. Let's do this, this paragraph. We just got to hear it again. The second paragraph starting in Nehemiah 8 9, which also helps me skip all those names. But uh, this is two-part good news. And Nehemiah, who is the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. So there's once. They saw God. They saw their sin. But he says, on this day, the first day of this feast, this is not a day for weeping. Don't grieve. I can deal with your sin. Now that you see it, I know exactly what to do with it. And he said, in verse 10, then he said to them, here's what he said. Let's party, okay? Look what he said. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to the Lord. Hey, friends, the holiness of God leads to parties, not some bored Christianity. This is true godly spirituality. This was the feast and festival, and he says, I don't, even those that aren't ready, share with them. I want everybody to party. Everyone's seen the sovereignty. Everyone's now through the reading of the word of God and the spirit of God convicting. And this great light came upon the reality. But he said, do not weep. And then he said again, and do not be grieved. And once again, here's the heart of the passage. Here's the reason why. Don't be grieved. Why? It's right there in your Bible. Four. Four. Hope you see it. In verse 10, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. When all that wickedness about your lack of love for God and your lack of love for people and the blindness that you used to experience and then he sheds a little bit of light on, oh my gosh, you're bigger and better than I thought or oh, I'm more wicked or sinful than I thought. When that happens, he doesn't say freak out and go, oh, no, don't freak out. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's saying, because I am so very happy to deal with that. What happens when the perfect, holy, holy God encounters a sinner who's been awakened to his sin? He crosses his arms, says, I'm glad you finally see that. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, what took you so long? He doesn't say, hey, man, let's try out the B team for a while. He doesn't say, well, let's wait to forgive you your sins so I'll see if you're sincere. Check back with me in a month. Go to church and a bunch of Bible studies between now and then, and we'll give you a little test. No, 
This God, the God of the Bible, the God of Nehemiah 8, is in no way restrained from blessing you on the spot in the second that you turn to him. Pink all of your junk and all of your weariness and all of your sin to him for the joy of the Lord. He is so very happy to deal with that. He's not disgusted with you. He's angry with the wicked every day. He's disgusted with sin. But you know why he doesn't have to be disgusted with you? Sunday school answer, Jesus. The, the Bible pictures justice, wrath, and judgment as this fiery cup of judgment that we all deserve. That's the part of point two, seeing our sin. But the beauty of point three is that he dumped and exhausted all his wrath upon the perfect Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And he, he didn't leave an ounce he didn't leave an ounce of judgment or condemnation for you. Not one ounce. So that when he bring you at your worst, he doesn't have even a drop of condemnation. He fully condemned Jesus. No, he's gentle. He's saying, yes, come on. I'm so happy to forgive you. I'm so happy to accept you despite your sin. I'm so happy to adopt you. I'm so happy to bring you into my family for um, forever. I'm so happy to help you walk with me the rest of your life. I'm so happy I've prepared good works in advance for you to walk in. I'm so happy for us to partner in life together and enjoy each other forever. And I'm going to be so happy one day to present you holy and blameless before God without spot or wrinkle. Man, what does God do with sinners when they come to him? There's no reluctance. There, there is no hesitation because it's paid for in Jesus. Jesus says it's finished. He paid for all your guilt. He paid for all of your sin. He paid for all of your lack of love for God. He paid for all of your past. All. And you know what? He paid for your sins you can commit later today. And he's already paid for the sins for the rest of your life. It's finished. Completely finished. The joy of the Lord. So when you come to him with all of your junk and all of your sin, what are, what's on his face? It's not a frown. I mean, he's just happy, happy, happy to bless you. He doesn't grate on the curve. You don't have to deserve anything. The joy of the Lord becomes our joy when we realize that God wants to be famous for forgiving the worst in you and the worst of sinners. It helps us come to him. And his joy to forgive becomes our joy. And I think you probably, the moments we believe that, there's where that, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Oh, now I've got the strength actually to stand up. I'm a huge sinner. I mean, but for that verse, I would never come up here because he's covered my sins. I'm not, I'm a huge sinner. But the joy of the Lord, the fact that he loves to forgive me and the fact that he loves to use the worst of sinners is the strength and only strength I have to even ever open my mouth about him. So it gives us strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Well, 
Are you ready for this wilderness season to be over? Something in your past, something you're ashamed of, something you've never told anyone. If you're one of those people that your conscience or the enemy is saying, yeah, but not me. They don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. But he does. He knows the worst thing you've ever done. Fact. He knows, he knows a lot more of the evil in your heart than you do. You've not been a fully awakened sinner. But he sees it all. That's why he punished his son. That's why he says, I'll accept you today on the spot just as you are. No conditions. It's free. Free to me. Expensive to Jesus. We can come out of the wilderness and enter a season of joy. This feast of booze was that feast that followed the Passover uh, in chronology of, of Exodus. The Passover is when they were enslaved and they wanted to be free and they cried to the Lord and God heard them and they got a spotless lamb and, and the death angel passed over them for anyone who trusted in the blood of the lamb and, and they were freed and, and they went to the Red Sea and they were about to go in the promised land and then they disbelieved God again already. And so they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And the Feast of Booze is this feast of remembering. They'd go out and live in these huts and stuff to remember that even in the wilderness season, even when they were in the discipline of God, as they were looking back, God never left them. God never left them. And so just as this Feast of Booze was to look back at a wilderness period, that's why when they were crying, they didn't want them to be grieved over their sin. Actually, two other days that month, if you keep reading in Nehemiah, there was these solemn assemblies. There was time to even talk more about their sin. But what he says is, that day is not this day. And we're in Nehemiah 8. And so this day is that the wilderness season, no matter what you felt like, God has never left you alone. He's always been there. He's, he's always been with you. He's been patient. He's been waiting for today. He's been waiting for today. He's been there all along. See, just as they look back in this season of the Feast of Booze, look back to the Passover, we look back to the real Passover, where all of your sins can be passed over you because he's going to punish a spotless, innocent lamb whose name is Jesus, free and full forgiveness. Let's pray. Oh, God, help us to see you as our sovereign. Help us to see our sin. Help us to see you as Savior. Help us to see the grace of God. Father, help us to know you're not, because you've punished Jesus, you're not disgusted. Your arms aren't folded. You're not distant. We're not on probation. You just say, come. Come to me. Come to me. Father, for those in the wilderness season, help them to see that they weren't abandoned by you. You were just being patient with them. So help them to say today, I want to come home. I want to know your love. Here's all my sin. Please forgive me. Father, for any who are here that have never, ever, ever 
repented, which just means turned away from their sin and handed their sin over to you and, and turned away from being their own God to really turning to getting a new God. The God of Nehemiah 8, the God whose joy it is to forgive them of all of their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness and to fill them with the Holy Spirit of God to be adopted and accepted. Father, may today, may today they just cry out and say, help me, Jesus, here I am. Amen. Hey, welcome.